Hear now the Word of God. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one who died. And look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Let's pray. Oh God, those keys. We want those keys. What will it take for us to get our hands on those keys? Holy Father, death still stares us down. If we could have the keys, maybe then, maybe then a smile upon the face of death. We need the keys. Please, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the keys, we pray. Amen. I think the headline would have caught anybody's eye. I saw the headline. Reuters News Agency. Now, here's the headline. You would have taken a second look, too. French mayor bans residents from dying. Leave it to the French. Happened in August. Dateline, Le Lavandu, France. Now, I'm going to quote the press release. Here we go. The mayor of a French Mediterranean town faced with a cemetery full to bursting, as he put it, has banned local residents from dying until he can find somewhere else to bury them. Gil Bernardi, the mayor, said most locals had obeyed the edict so far. (laughs) Very obedient city. But he was desperately trying to find a resting place for a homeless man who had recently passed away in the town, end quote. Can you believe it, ladies and gentlemen? Wouldn't that be something? I mean, come on. Wouldn't that be something? If the Oronoco Township Board or our Grand Springs Village Council, if they voted, passed a law about death, Although, you know, they've had so much trouble over the sewer, I don't know how they could deal with death. But, you know, if there were a law, illegal, you cannot die anymore. But the fact of the matter is, and you know this in the, in the heart of your heart, two things in life are inevitable, death and taxes. We know that. You can cheat out of your taxes But I am here to remind you today, you cannot cheat your way out of death. One of these days, and I I don't know when it's going to be for you, and I have no clue when it will be for me. It may be a whole lot sooner than we have been thinking. One of these days, it, he, she, whatever the gender death is, is going to come a-knocking at that door. Knocking at the door. Knock, knock. Who's there? Death. Death who? Death for you. And it'll be over. It is because we are all confronted with the inevitability of our own impending death that the fifth face of Christ today in the mighty apocalypse, 
Face number five is so compelling. It is so comforting. And I want, I've been looking forward to this chance to just gaze, gaze into this face once again. Fifth time we've come to the face in the mighty last book of the Bible, the Apocalypse. Would you open it again, please? Open your Bible to Revelation. And oh my, we have been in Revelation 1 for a long time. We, I promise you, we'll get out of Revelation 1, one of these Sabbaths. But we go back to Revelation 1 today. The Revealing, that's our series this school year. The Revealing, title of today's sermon, A Smile on the Face of Death. Let's pick up the story. We, 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 we kind of need to get a run into it. And so let's pick it up here in uh, actually verse 9 of Revelation 1. I'm in the New Living Translation. I do like this translation. You follow along with whatever you have. If you're watching on television right now, of course, it'll be on the screen. If you want a Bible in your hands, there's one in the pew in front of you. The New King James Version. But let's pick it up. Verse 9. This is the New Living. Verse 9. I am John. Okay, that's the writer. I am John, your brother. In Jesus, we are partners in suffering and in the kingdom and in patient endurance. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and speaking about Jesus. Verse 10. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard a loud voice behind me, a voice that sounded like a trumpet blast. And it said, verse 11, write it down what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And verse 12, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe and a golden sash across his chest. Verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool, as, as white as snow. And his, his eyes, his eyes were bright with the flames of fire. His feet were as bright as bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. Verse 16, he held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face... His face was as bright as the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one who died. Look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death. And the grave. Did you catch that, ladies and gentlemen? Don't be afraid. I was dead, it's true. But I am alive forever and ever. I got the keys. I want to tell you something. I have the keys. I hold them. Wow. A smile on the face of death. Although I tell you what, if you saw this week's, this week's, Newsweek magazine cover, there is no smile no smile on the face of death there. Face of death is written all over the Newsweek magazine cover. Let me put it up on the screen for you. See it there? See that tarot card? It's, 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 it's a replica of the one purportedly found at the place of one of the tragic, senseless, brutal, insane acts of treachery. He, they, nobody knows now for sure. Cruel, senseless Death. You got the face of death and there's no smile on all over the cover of that magazine. And then we find out, as Pastor Esther prayed today, we find out that one of the victims is the, was the brother-in-law of our own Melchizedek Paniah, a member of this congregation. What is up with that indiscriminate 
That tarot card has no smile on the face of death. And the fact of the matter is, no face, no smile on the face over there, no smile on the face here. This church was full on Tuesday afternoon. As we gathered to pay our last respects and bury our leader and our friend, James Nash, there was no smile on the face of death here either. But, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if, like that French mayor, we could just pass a law. It is now illegal. Nobody else can die. It's against the law. You cannot die. Wouldn't it be something? Pass a law. Ah, that would put a smile on the face of death. Pass a law. No more death. Wow. Because we all live with death, don't we? And I don't mean just, just the physical kind of death that is going to come to us one of these days, ready or not. I don't mean just that physical death. You know, the world would be bad enough it were, if it were only physical death that we had to deal with. But ladies and gentlemen, I remind you today that we suffer, we suffer great emotional deaths. What about the deaths of the, of, of the heart? What about the death of the spirit? What about public humiliation? What about private failure? And you die. We, we, we have this, this proverb, don't we? You, you die a thousand deaths. I'm talking about those kind of deaths. Some of us have died a million deaths if you die a thousand at a time. We've already died a million deaths. What about the emotional deaths? What about the dreams? I mean, we've been taught to dream since we were knee-high to grasshoppers. We've been told, dream and your dreams come true. There's a whole lot of positive thinking literature out there and a whole lot of television that reinforces it. So we dream dreams. But what's up with this? How come the dreams don't come true? Some of us in this audience right now are realizing that the dream for a happy, happy marriage will never come true. You made a mistake in getting married and you have never been really happy since. Some of you are dreaming to get married one day and you're going to come to that moment and realize, I'm not getting married. Where is that dream? The dream is dead. What about a dream of a happy family? What about a dream of perfect children? What's up with that dream? No, I was turning around. What about a dream of parents who, who really love me and understand me and don't abuse me? That dream, it's gone, my friend. You've been abused. It's over. That dream is dead. It cannot be resurrected. Do you understand that? We suffer death every single day. I talk to kids that graduate from this university. I meet them all over the world. You know, there are some... What, what, what do you call this? When the career you have dreamed about goes belly up before the ink on your diploma has even dried. I talk to kids who say, I, my whole life went south the moment I graduated. Want to talk about career dreams? What about a career dream that says, I can, I can see it now. I can see it. Financial security in retirement and then boom, you're fired. Your job comes to an end. You've lost everything. There is no way to resurrect your life now, sir. What about dreams that die? What about the dream of retirement? You had all these dreams for retirement, but your spouse contracted Alzheimer's. Every dream you had is dead, gone. It's over. Do you understand? It's over. Larry Crabb calls them shattered dreams. These dreams we live with, dead hopes, a friendship that dies, abandoned by someone you've loved. They just walk out. You know, the, the, the expiration of your goals when the doctor walks into your examining room and with his somber face, matter-of-factly announces to you that health as you know it is forever in the past. No more good health. You're going to die before you die. 
We die a thousand deaths every day across this country, even across this campus. But they are deaths without gravestones. They are expirations without certificates. What do we do with those deaths? Is there any word from the apocalyptic Christ to those who mourn? And I don't mean only those who mourn at funerals. I mean the rest of us who have to mourn all the way through our lives. Any word from Christ? Read the word again, will you? It's verse 17 of Revelation 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. You know, it's just, just, just a reminder that sometimes you can fall in life, cut down in life, and you'll be dead before you die. There are moments when you fall as dead, and you're not even dead yet. Just a reminder. We all suffer death before the ultimate death. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but, oh, I love this, but he laid his, come on, audience, which hand? He laid his Right hand, not his left hand. He laid his right hand. And so this last week, I put my little, my, my little CD-ROM into my laptop computer and I typed up, okay, fine for me, please. All the right hands in the Bible. There were so many of my desires. I'm not going to count them. Page after page after page. You know why? Because right hand in the Bible is always, when it comes to God and Christ, right hand is always the position of power and honor. You want to sit at the right hand of Jesus? You won't be able to sit at the right hand of the Father because Colossians 3.1 tells us that right now at this instant, Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. It is a position of power and honor. And so isn't that something? Here is John as good as dead because there are times when you die before you die and he's on the ground and Jesus reaches down and with his right hand, I love it, divine omnipotence wrapped up in human tenderness. Because if you notice, when somebody touches you, it makes all the difference in the world. Doesn't it? I mean, aren't there times, do you have that too? I have these. Where I just, I just long for somebody to touch me. You know, just, just because there are times when you feel, you feel lonely. There are times when you feel a failure. There are times when you are, you are anxious. And it just takes a touch. You know, we need to touch each other more. Husbands and wives, we need to be touching each other more. Well, I touched her once before we got married. What's the big deal? I know you don't say that. I hope you don't say that. We need to be touching each other in the early morning, no matter how she looks. I meant how he looks, sorry. No matter how he looks, we need to be touching him at the end of the day when we come walking back through that door. Touch, touch, touch. We need to touch. There's something about a human touch. That's no accident that Jesus reaches over with a hand of power and honor and He touches His friend John with the right hand. You know, sometimes if you can't get a human touch, get, a, get an animal to touch you. Get a pet. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, we have a wonderful little dog. Her name is Sadie Hawkins. And I will come home sometimes at night because we got her on February 29. Uh, we will co- I will come home sometimes at night and nobody's home. And here will be Sadie. She's just... You know, and I've had a tough day on the job and I come home and I pick Sadie up. And you know why she's excited? She has no idea what I've been through. She's just excited because she loves me. She loves me. And so I pick her up and the first thing she wants to do is say, I want to tell you, boy, how much I love you. And she just starts licking my cheek. Just the touch. We're creatures that need touch. And Jesus knew how He made us in the beginning. And so He reaches over with His right hand. He said, hey, John, 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 John. 
And I love what he says once he touches him. He said, John, don't. Come on. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Fear is the most paralyzing emotion we as human beings experience. There's no worse. No worse. Not loneliness. Not hunger. Fear. Fear. What is fear? Fear is always over the unknown. That's why. We have no idea what's next. That is why this beltway sniping is so insane. So calculatedly evil. Because like ice injected into the vein, whoever's doing this is just paralyzing a community because it's fear. I, I can't get out of my car now. I can't pump gas. I can't, I'm not going to Home Depot anymore. I can't do this. Fear. And Jesus knows. He knows it. And so the, He touches us, as it were, with His right hand. And His first words are, Don't be afraid. Please, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why, Jesus? Why shouldn't I be afraid? Ah, we don't get it in the English, but if we were reading this in the Greek, John's language in which he wrote the Apocalypse, we'd immediately know why we're not supposed to be afraid. Because the very next two words, out of Jesus' resurrected lips, the very next two words, John took them straight out of the crackling, roaring, mysterious inferno in that bush in the Midian wilderness where a voice called out, Moses, Moses, if they ask who sent you, you tell them, I am sent you. It is the name of omnipotence. It is the name of El Shaddai, almighty power. It's the I am. And John goes to that bush. He seizes those two words. He puts them on the lips of the resurrected Christ. Don't be afraid. And here's why. I am. I am. I am. I am the one who holds the world in my hands. I am. I am the first and the last. I am. Wow. I am the first and the last. I am is the one. The great I am is the one who holds the keys in his nail-scarred hands. Keys to death, keys to the grave, keys to every dream you've buried, keys to every death you've suffered. He holds the keys. I have the keys. Now, I've got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, he does not hold those keys uncontested. There is somebody who is challenging that ownership. Those keys do not belong to you. Those are my keys. Somebody is challenging him. He knows it. Let me just tell you about the challenge these days. Have you ever heard... John Edward. Have you ever heard of John Edward? And a hot television show in the United States today called Crossing Over. Let's put John Edward on the screen. There he is. Ever seen John Edward? Fox television. You know who he is? This is a psychic medium who on live camera sits in front of the camera and calls forth those who have already, as he puts it, crossed over. We went to Fresno, as you know, for eight nights of public lectures. I'm going to give you a full report on that on Wednesday night at House of Prayer. Because not only did we have success, but we had some significant failures. And God has been uh, using those failures as a teaching experience. And I don't want to tell you about that Wednesday night. But as a part of the preparation, because this is, a, you know, trying to target a, a basically secular city like Fresno. I said, Skip, K 
can you find something on this death activity now? And Skip went over here to the teaching materials uh, center in the library, sat down at the computer, and one by one by one he got them. We tracked John Edward. We found him. We found where he's been giving interviews, and we've got the verbatim interviews right here. I want to read to you one of the interviews. This is, you know Paula Zahn on CNN. She has the morning show called American Morning. And, and here's her opening words. Okay, she's sitting there with John Edward, the man that we saw on the screen a moment ago. He is a medium with a message. John Edward claims he can communicate with the dead, but is he for real? The world-renowned psychic and host of the TV show Crossing Over has millions of true believers. She, she, uh, before she turns him, they roll a clip, and it's a clip from his show. Now, I have the transcript right here, so I know what they said. Edward, uh, an, an unidentified female says, my husband. That's my husband. Edward says, okay. But is that how he passed? Was he asphyxiated? Is it something about a problem where he could not breathe? She said, yeah. 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 He said, all right, all right. Now, look. You're Catherine. Okay. I got, I got the name Catherine. Now, now Catherine, uh, February, the month of February. What, what's happening here? Unidentified female speaks. Oh, that's my brother's birthday. The, the one that passed? In other words, the one that died? Yes. Okay, okay. Now, now, now. now oh, oh. Niagara Falls. Why is Niagara Falls significant? Unidentified female answers. We were just there. You were just at Niagara Falls. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting it. She, she says, me and my daughter. Edward shoots back. Did, listen, did you find a feather there? And did you tell your daughter that was from daddy? Who's dead? Unidentified female. Yes, I did. A moment of intimacy that only that mother and daughter could have possibly known. And a psychic on national television says, I'm seeing a feather. You're in Niagara. Did you say that? What's up with that? Now, he appeared just in September. This is back in May. This is in September now. Larry King Live. All right. You've really made it when you make it to Larry King. So, Larry King, host of the Larry King Show tonight. I'm quoting him now. He sees dead people, says he talks to them too. And he's here to talk with you, John Edward. Now, King asks a very interesting question about who are these people that you're talking to. Let me get uh, further into the interview. Here we go. These, this is Larry King. These dead people are somewhere or are they in some sort of spirit ghostly world? Edward answers, Oh, I think that they're in a different dimension, but I think it's a dimension that coexists in some way with ours. King, not in a physical body. Edward, not in a physical body. It's more of an, uh, more of an energy body. It's more an energy world. Edward goes on to say, The consciousness, you see, the consciousness passes beyond the death. What is up with this? The consciousness passes beyond the death. And he described it to Paulo Zahn. He said, I'm like, a, I'm like a radio station. I just bring the beams in. I hear from them. And then I share with you. Who is speaking to John Edward, ladies and gentlemen? Who? Who is it? I mean, who is this? Could it be he is not hearing from the dead at all? Could it be that rather there is someone else standing cloaked in the dark and nether shadows of this world hissing the same primeval lie he spun in the garden in the beginning? Ha! I want to tell you something. I am the one who has the keys. Do you understand that? Read my lips. I have the keys to death and the grave. Did God tell you you're not going to die? Rubbish! God says you die? Crazy. I have the keys. You, Genesis 3, 4, you will surely not die. Where did this come from? Where did this come from? 
And oh, by the way, when Adam and Eve finally died, oh, brother, there blew that lie. And so he comes up with lie number two. No, 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 don't, don't worry. When you die, you don't really die. When you die, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to purgatory, you go to nirvana, you go to reincarnation, you become Shirley MacLaine. You do not die when you die. See, ladies and gentlemen, it's the same forked tongue, the same shadowy whisper. I have the keys. I have the keys. I have the keys. But if the Bible is true, then everything Satan has hissed is a lie. Because I go to the Bible, your Bible and mine, take a look at this, Ecclesiastes 9.5, the living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, that would be heaven or hell, is all long gone. They no longer have a part in anything here on earth. Take a look at this, Psalm 6, verse 5, For in death, who remembers you? Who can praise you from the, from the grave? Take a look at this, Psalm 115, verse 17, The dead cannot sing praises to the Lord, for they have gone into the silence. They have gone into the silence of the grave. There is nothing you can... Mr. Radio Station, you aren't picking up any messages from the grave. It's silent in the grave, according to Holy Scripture. Why, the Lord Himself, when He was here, and His best friend Lazarus has died, Jesus is, is, is unmistakable. He says, I want to tell you something, Lazarus is sleeping. John 11, check it out. Lazarus is sleeping. The disciples say, oh, well, hallelujah, the boy is sick. Lord, don't wake him up. He needs his rest. Jesus said plainly to them, no, 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 no. You misunderstand me. Lazarus is sleeping because he is dead. Death is an unconscious, unconscious silence. So when John Edwards says, I hear from their consciousness, makes me wonder, from whom is he hearing? Revelation Chapter 16, verse 14, they are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Do you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? The closer we get to that final showdown, the, more, the greater proliferation we're going to see on the airwaves and in print everywhere we turn. A proliferation of the spirits of demons preparing, softening this civilization for the last great battle. Don't you ever dabble in the occult because you're playing with a serpent who plays for keeps and it's over. Unmistakable, the word of Christ to John, I am... I am the one who holds the key. I alone, John, please. I alone hold the keys to death and the grave. Everyone else is an imposter. I alone hold the keys. How'd you get the keys, Jesus? Did you have to fight for them? Hebrews chapter 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. Hebrews 2.14. Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way, I love this, only in this way could Jesus deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We don't have to live in fear of our own impending death anymore.
I, I, I got the keys back. I have them. I alone have them. Which being interpreted means, ladies and gentlemen, maybe the quest of our lives ought not to be to seek for the keys to the grave. Maybe the quest is not to resurrect a dream that is dead and gone. Sister, that dream will never come back. My brother, it, it's gone. You cannot resurrect that dream. It's dead. Maybe the quest is not for the keys, but maybe the preoccupation of our life henceforth must be a concentration on the one who holds those keys. I mean, a passion for Jesus. Just a, 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 a full-bored, red-blooded passion to know Jesus Christ. Forget the keys. Know the one who holds the keys. I want to I end by uh, quoting from a book that a friend of mine gave me. She's sitting here, Evie Cole Kissinger. It's a wonderful book written by psychologist Larry Crabb. Title of the book, Shredded Dreams, and it has a subtitle here, God's Unexpected Pathway to Joy. Fascinating. I'm hoping in a sermon down the way that we'll be able to unpack uh, what he's dealing with here. But uh, he, he has come across three premises that are the secret to coming to grips with the dreams that have been shattered and the many deaths we have already experienced. And I want to end, uh, I want to end with uh, Crab's words. I'll put them on the screen for you. There are three premises. See if you buy this. I'm intrigued by this. Premise number one. Okay. There's never a moment in all our lives from the day we, when we trusted Christ till the day we see Him when God is not longing to bless us. I mean, do you buy that? That all God wants to do for you, my friend, all God wants to do for you is bless you. Bless you. Bless you. You say, Dwight, do you know what's going on in my life right now? Hold on. He's going to deal with that. All He wants to do is to bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Now, at every moment, let's pick it up again. At every moment, in every circumstance, God is doing us good. Now, hold on. He never stops. God is not waiting to bless us after our troubles end. He is blessing us right now in and through those troubles. At this exact moment, He is giving us what He thinks is good. Everything goes through a right hand that tenderly is placed on our shoulder. I know, I know, I know. It went through my hand first. You've got to admit He's right. Because if, it, if God didn't want you to experience whatever it is you've just gone through, my friend, you wouldn't have experienced it. You would not have experienced it. I know there's a devil, but hold him out. There are three premises. So number one, God wants to bless us. Oh boy, here comes premise number two. The highest dream we could ever dream, the wish that if granted would make us happier than any other blessing, is to know God, to actually experience Him. All the other dreams are little mini dreams, but this is the big one. To know God and experience Him. The problem, oh, 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 oh. The problem is that we don't believe this idea is true. Oh, yes, we assent to it in our heads, but we don't feel it in our hearts. Our souls, therefore, long for whatever we think will provide the greatest possible pleasure. And we hang on to all these dreams. And it's so hard to let a dream get shattered in our hands. And we are broken. I can't go on. The dream is dead. No, no, no. You can go on. You can because there's premise three. We're not in touch, he writes, with our appetite for God. So the Holy Spirit awakens that appetite. And the, the, the emphasis is his now. He uses the pain of shattered dreams to help us discover our desire for God. Now that's heavy stuff. 
to help us begin dreaming the highest dream. Shattered dreams are not accidents of fate. They are ordained opportunities for the Spirit first to awaken, then to satisfy our highest dream. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest object in life, therefore, looking into this fifth face of Jesus, the greatest object of life has to be not a pursuit of the keys, not a resurrection of the dreams that are dead and gone. Well, let's leave them buried. The greatest pursuit and passion of life must be to know the one who holds the keys, to know him like I have never known him before. Let him take you through the shattered dreams. Let him take you deeper and deeper. Dream the greatest dream. Because Jesus, the fifth face of Jesus, is a face that stands before us today, as it were, the revealing of this face. What is He saying? He's saying, come to Me, please. Come to Me, and I will give you rest. I too have died. I know the meaning of shattered dreams and a death I could not stop. I was dead, and look, I am alive. I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. I hold the keys to every dream you've dreamed and every death you've suffered. I alone hold those keys. And so I touch you with my right hand and I say to you, do not be afraid. Leave the keys and the dreams and the deaths to me. Come to me and learn of me and you will find rest for your soul. That must be why that old hymn I love so well. That must be why it ends with the words, And when I come to die, Oh, when I come to die, You know it, don't you? When I come to die, How's it go? Give me Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not the keys. We don't need the keys. We need the One who holds the keys. I want to sing that hymn with you in just one moment. I'm going to tell you a story. This I just learned this story two weeks ago. It's a story about what happened to my dad on the last day of his life at 3 o'clock in the morning on the day he died. My dad died two months ago, this weekend. Two weeks ago, I'm out getting ready to go to Fresno and so I go to Faith for Today and we spend three days there and then I race over to Banning where my mother is and we stay up late Wednesday night talking, a long walk Thursday. And before I leave Thursday afternoon, I said, Mom, we've got to go back to the nursing home where Dad was. My dad had uh, something like Alzheimer's. And we we, we got to go back to the nursing home because John, John's there. And I've gotten to know John over the months that my dad has been in that nursing home and I've come to love this man. In fact, I've talked to him and we've prayed together. And he said, oh, Dwight, I can't. He, he has Lou Gehrig's disease. All right, you know what Lou Gehrig's disease is? Um, and so he's trapped in this body and bright mind and he's oh Dwight I don't have enough faith I don't have enough faith I can't believe I said John you can't come on John I'm praying for you and, and uh, so I said mom I got to see John she said I'm not going back to that nursing home I'm not going back I said mom this is the time to go back I'm with you you can go back she said okay you're here well, I'll go she said, let's buy John uh, chocolates before we go. He loves these after, is it after dinner mints or after eight mints? What is that? After dinner, after what? After what? After eight. Okay, he loves these after eight mints. So we go to a grocery store and I buy those mints and we go up to the nursing home and we, you know, everybody's hugging my mom. They haven't seen her since, uh, you know, for two months. And that was very, I think, therapeutic for mom. So we go down to the room and there is John lying in that bed, far, farthest bed by the window. And I walk in the room, 
And there is another man in my father's bed. And I'm telling you, it was the strangest, strangest feeling. Like, what are you doing there? You know whose bed this is? He has no clue. He has no idea who I am. He's just smiling. There's his wife there. So I said, I'm not going to say anything to him. Make him feel bad. So we went over to John. John, I brought you some chocolates. How you been? And John's grinned, you know. And he said, come here. I want to tell you something. The morning your dad died. Dad died at 9 o'clock at night. 3 o'clock, John said. 3 o'clock in the morning. I woke up. I said, why'd you wake up, John? He said, I heard a voice. I said, he did? Yeah. He said, I heard a voice. And the voice was calling your dad's name. The voice said, Paul. Paul. I said, I looked over. I said, John, it's probably a nurse. One of the aides, right? He said, no. I said, I looked over. I, because John lies where his, his bed, the head of the bed, looked straight out the door into the hallway. He said, I looked over. He said, there was nobody in the room. I said, come on, John. Somebody's standing in the room. They're calling Dad. He said, I'm telling you, nobody. He said, in fact, I went like this. And he took his not strong hand and he reached over to this wrist and he said, I went like this. I said, you pinched yourself? Yeah. He said, I did this. I said, come on. Because I heard it again. A voice in the dark. And the voice said, Paul. Paul. And my mother now is just, just bending over this. And, and, and John said, I tell you what, it scared the, and he used an expletive, it scared the expletive out of me. <laughs> when he said that, I knew that this guy is not just bumping his gums. He's trying to tell me, Dwight, do you understand? There was something in this room. Whatever it was, was calling your dad's name. And I heard it the morning before your dad died. Now, you can say whatever you want. Your issue is not with me. Your issue is with John. I receive it as faith. Because I'll tell you what. I haven't talked about this, but I have had a very hard time with the way God has treated my dad. I said, what is, what is the problem? The man gives his whole life to you, goes to the mission field, can't buy houses like all his colleagues, so he has no equity, comes back one day to get his kids educated, living for retirement. And then as we crazily thinking humans say, and you give him Alzheimer's, is that a way to treat, is that the way you treat your friends? And guys, I know you don't have to come up afterwards and tell me how it works. I've given all those speeches. I've talked about Calvary. I've talked about, you know, God Himself knows. I've done all that. But I'm telling you, when it's somebody you love, you cannot figure it out. Why is this happening to Him? I never said a word about it to my mom because I don't want to discourage her. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's a lose-lose in my book. So to hear John Say, I want to tell you something. I don't know who was in that room, but whoever it was, was calling your dad's name. I am getting tears in my eyes when I'm standing by John's bed. I got all choked up in first service just telling the story. I'm getting tears because I'm thinking, wouldn't that be just 
like God I was mad at. God who says, you know, I'm sorry, Paul. I, I didn't, you know, I don't change genes and I can't help it. But I want to tell you something. Your life has not been in vain. You're going to be dead by 9 o'clock tonight. But at 3 in the morning, when this place is quiet, maybe he said his angel, I don't know. Angel, tell him. Tell him. His life means everything to me. And I am going to make it up to you, boy. I'm going to make it up to you one day. And you'll see. I'll show you that your shattered dream ended up being in my hands the very best thing I could do under those circumstances. Oh, by the way, angel, angel, don't do it quietly to his mind because the family's been working with John who says he doesn't have faith enough to believe. So, angel, when you call Dwight's dad's name, would you just do it out loud? Say, Paul, Paul. Because, you know, he used to love to tell his kids the story. And I'm telling you, this is the truth. When Dad would tell us a Bible story, inevitably it would be the story. And he'd be sitting on the edge of our beds. It would be the story of God coming to little Samuel and God saying, and my dad would make the echo happen, Samuel, Samuel. You know, my dad was trying to impress upon us as kids, listen for the voice of God. God really will speak to you. Wouldn't it be something if God said, Angel, call, just like he told the story, call his name and make sure John hears it. And oh, Angel, I got, I got another agenda item. I got a boy who's having a hard time with his dad's death. I want you to make sure that he goes to the nursing home in September and he hears the story. Because I want to get three birds with one call. Paul, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, you can say what you want. I receive it as a gift from God. What are you saying, Dwight? That when I die, God's going to call my name twice? That's not what I'm saying. He may never say a word when I die, but this much I know, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I come to the moment of our death, Jesus will be there with us. I believe that with all my heart. He will be there. I mean, who better to have beside you when you're coming to breathe your last breath than the one who says, hey, by the way, breathe it out. I have the keys of death and the grave. Don't you worry. By the way, who better to have while you're living than the one who says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I have the keys. Live boldly. Dream new dreams. Bury the past. And let me walk with you. Ladies and gentlemen, it isn't the keys. It isn't the keys we need today. We need the one who holds the keys. Let that be your passion until He comes. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus equip you with all you need for doing His will. May He produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ all that is pleasing to Him. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep by an everlasting covenant signed with His blood. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen.